Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. Sovereign Lord, we come before you who made all things. We come and we pray, Father, that you would be our help, that you would uphold us, that you would help us, and you would help us as a church, help us as followers of Christ, individually and together, that you would help us to come under your word, lead us under Christ, under your word, under the gospel, and help us to come with hearts like that. Father, we pray that regardless of, and and perhaps even the weight of things that may be upon us or in our lives or whatever there may be, may we, may we just come tonight and may we rest in you and wholly lay ourselves at your feet, uh, recognizing uh, continually you are calling us to come and to humble ourselves and give all of ourselves to you. And so help us, Father. Help us come with a humble heart. And we pray, Father, that you would just now bless and give uh, your word wings to fly deep and far for your glory. And we thank you and we ask for your hand upon our time now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, over the past two weeks, we have been rather briskly walking through the book of Jonah. There have been all the makings here of an exciting movie. So there have been uh, times where it's been action-packed. So you have a terrifying storm, you know, and a, a great fish comes to swallow Jonah. And there's also been a great deal of jo- uh, drama as well. You know, Jonah, he flees from God. You know, you know, I'm a movie watcher, so I can hear the music in my mind with him fleeing from God and the, the dramatic music that would follow that. Uh, the mariners, they try to save him, and they reach out to him, and yet he will not repent. And God's judgment then comes upon Jonah, and Jonah almost dies in the sea. And so, whoever said the Bible is not exciting... We have all the makings here of a movie. Now, lest we confuse the two, though Jonah, he is a important character, no doubt, in this book, Jonah is not the main character of this story. God is. It was the word of the Lord that prompted Jonah's fleeing. It was God who sent the tempest and the great fish. It was God who extended mercy again and again. And if you've been walking through this book with us, you have seen just that, that God is indeed the main character, and we have seen again and again His mercy extended. And how beautiful that picture has been. And so with God as the main character, such that at the end of chapter 2, Jonah, he prays and he exclaims, salvation belongs to the Lord. 
Now, if Jonah were made into a Hollywood movie, I would imagine uh, there would be much that would be confused here and perhaps even reversed here in the book of Jonah. I don't know if you've seen the movies uh, Exodus, you know, God and Kings, I think it's what it's titled exactly. Uh, Megan's there, you know, looking in disgust. And uh, Noah, uh, if you've seen either one of those, which I immensely did not like, and uh, for a variety of reasons, but if you saw those movies, you saw stories in a movie where the story and the characters and God himself were twisted and mangled to entertain. And so I would imagine if, if a movie about Jonah was made today, we would probably see something like that. We might even, uh, might even set forth Jonah as this heroic figure. I can imagine the trailer going something like this. Will one man dare to defy his God? You know, I could, I could hear it now. That would be, you know, so Jonah would be misunderstood. The Ninevites really weren't all that bad and God was just a, you know, mean God. Uh, I would not be surprised if that was the case. Well, regardless, that movie has not been made. Uh, but let us, though, keep central what is central here. Let's keep central God and His mercy. And we have seen the mercy of God once and again extended to Jonah, even to the very end is what we saw in Jonah chapter 2. Even when his life was fainting away and he cried out to the Lord, God was ready to extend mercy and we saw him extend mercy to Jonah. So tonight, we turn then to continue Jonah with Jonah chapter 3. So we left off you remember with the end, uh, at the end of last time, with the question, will Jonah be obedient now? Well, now we come to this chapter to find out. So let's read on and see. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown! And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we 
may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. Here with the beginning of this chapter, it's as though really the story has kind of started over. We're in a whole different scene from where it began. We're no longer in Palestine or in Joppa or on a ship, but we, we are, uh, we're 550 miles away from Joppa where Jonah was likely vomited out by the fish. And like chapter 1, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. And he's again told to go to Nineveh and proclaim God's word. So even the beginning here, the words here are almost verbatim. Chapter 1, where it said, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. And here, we read pretty much the same thing. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. So where in chapter 1, it said, Jonah, arise to flee, or where it said that Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, instead, in verse 3, it says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. So Jonah, he does not rise to flee this time, but he rises to obey. You know, there's a, a moment in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis, when Edmund is restored. So he had betrayed his brother, Peter, and his sisters, Susan and Lucy. Uh, but now Aslan, who would be a type, uh, represent Christ, uh, he has mercy on Edmund. I don't know if you've seen or read the books, when Edmund returns to his, you know, siblings, Aslan tells them there's no need to talk to him about the past. Well, there's something, you know, that sentiment here, you know, a sentiment of mercy is set before us. You know, this is a new scene. You know, Jonah has been restored. He has been given a second chance. He has tasted mercy. He has died and risen from the pit. He has been judged by God. And as I heard someone say rather recently, you know, if you were in the belly of a whale, you would look rather bad after that with uh, all the acids and everything else uh, in the belly you would look like you had faced God's judgment coming out into Nineveh. Uh, he was a man who looked like he had been judged by God. Well, now he arises, though, as a man who had encountered all that, and yet he'd also encountered God's mercy, and now he rises to obey God's word. Amen. Likewise, we are called to be a people as recipients of mercy ourselves, who respond to God's word by obeying God's word. Now, before you begin saying, well, hey, what about later in Jonah? 
You know, in Jonah chapter 4, you know, Jonah does this and that, and, well, we will get to that. But for now, let me encourage you not to let yourself be detoured from considering your life and your heart. Yes, Jonah bucked against God's word, and he's not through yet. But for now, let's consider our hearts. Claudia, on whom God had mercy in Christ, read her Bible and she arose and went and obeyed. David, on whom God had mercy in Christ, read his Bible and he arose and went and obeyed. How do you read the Word of God? How are you approaching the Word when you read the Word? Andrew arose and did not obey the Word of God. What is your response when you hear the Word? How do you respond when God's Word is before you? In other words, I want to get us asking, how are we responding to God's Word? You know, this isn't, this isn't a challenge to become legalists. We talked about that a week ago. It's about followers of Jesus being followers of Jesus. The Apostle Paul, he calls this an, an, an obedience of faith in Romans 1.5. I love that phrase. Doesn't that just resolve so much? An obedience of faith? This is not the effort of legalists, but it's this faith-grounded obedience of the saints. So this is not legalism repackaged. It's Christians being Christians, the good tree being a good tree, and thus they hear the word and say, how then can I live this out? How then is Christ calling me to then live? If you love me, you will keep my commandments, Jesus says. So how is your obedience of faith doing? So Jonah, he arises and he obeys. He proclaims God's word. In verse 4, it says, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So they have forty days, and then it doesn't tell us how they will be overthrown, whether it's some pestilence or some army that's coming in to invade, or just simply that God brings some supernatural destruction upon them. We aren't told any of that, just simply that God's judgment is coming. So they had before them the very real judgment of God. And they also had before them the very real possibility of mercy as well. So God, he declared in Jeremiah 8, or 18, 7 through 8, he said, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. 
And so before us, or for those around us, there is a similar word. Repent and believe the gospel. Mercy is available, but judgment is coming. A very real judgment with a very real proclamation to one and to all. Turn to Jesus and be saved. Be a recipient of everlasting mercy. So similarly, we see our call as well to proclaim God's word and the gospel. We have been given a word from God. Now we too are called to arise and go and proclaim it. Yet the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Matthew 24. Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So a limit has been set. The sun will return, judgment will come, and a sword will be drawn, and books will be opened, and the end will come. A limit, not so much in the way of, you know, giving us 88 reasons why Jesus will return in 1988, but so we will go and proclaim this word urgently and persistently. So we have a time to proclaim this word and those who are lost and stand under God's judgment need to hear it. How similar are these two? Jonah's urgent proclamation and now ours. May we pray for God's help that he would give us courage, give us compassion, and give us hearts that are gripped by the gospel of mercy. Now, we have seen Jonah's response. Let's then look at Nineveh's response. So how powerful this word was. You know, initially when Jonah, he came into Nineveh, we how vast the city is. So, including its outer regions, it would take Jonah three days to preach throughout all of Nineveh. But, he would only need one. Verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city and going a day's journey and upon preaching the word on the first day, immediately the people responded. It says, And the people of Nineveh believed God. So Jonah, he may have been thinking, he may have had this whole plan mapped out. So, alright, I'll preach the first day here and here and here. I'll begin at this time, and then I'll go to bed at this time. You know, on the second day, I'm going to go here, and I'll maybe twist my phrase a little bit, and, you know, figure out how I'm going to do this a little bit, you know, differently. And then on the third day, well, he didn't have to wait that long. The response was immediate. Did you hear that, man? We must act now. God's judgment is coming. Get the news out. Tell the king. And so the Ninevites did all the work for him. They were overcome by the word of God. And they began telling everyone, did you not hear that judgment is coming? We only have 40 days. 
And so it gets to the king. It was moving that fast. And the king's response will be just as urgent. So the word got to him fast, and what would he do? He arose, he went, and he called out. The king and everyone was called to humble themselves before God, and even the animals were not allowed to eat. I mean, you want to talk about urgency. All right, guys, stop feeding your cattle. No more food for them either. Put them in sackcloth. We are taking God's word seriously today. The king, he did not know whether God would have mercy or not. But he said to himself, well, perhaps he will have mercy. Perhaps he will relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And although the scene, scene here seems to have you know, started over, we see a strong contrast between the response of Jonah in chapter 1 and the response of Gentiles throughout. The mariners, they responded immediately and urgently. The Ninevites responded immediately and urgently. And the king now responds immediately and urgently. And they were Gentiles. <laughs> and so no, no less does a similar word come to us. We too are called to an attitude of urgent repentance. Amen. In the decades... Even centuries to come, will people look back on America and say, but they would not hearken to the word of God? Friends, let us be hasty to repent. It is no safety to remain in sin. Mud is mud. Wallowing in mud is no way to get clean so also it does not help us or others to be slow to repentance. The Ninevites heard the powerful word from Jonah, and so also we have his powerful word before us as well. Hebrews 4, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. May it be that we would pray for that kind of immediacy in our own lives. A humble moldable heart to the word of God, a quickness, a haste to repent, to make things right. Why do we have to wait 20 years before we have that conversation? Why do we have to go around and divide and all these other things when we should have just went to that person? Why do we have to continue doing something that brings us pleasure that is killing us? Let us have a zeal and earnestness to flee from sin. Even as Joseph fled from Potiphar's wife, we would flee from our sin in haste. Don't give it an inch. 
follow the word. Chapter 3. It ends here with, so we've seen Jonah's response. We've seen the Ninevites' response and the king's response, and now we have God's response. So what does God do? He comes, and he comes to bring mercy upon them. Again, the mercy of God is extended. Here we have seen the power of the word of God. We have beheld something here of what revival looks like. There is such a longing for revival in our land. Am I right? Well, we here we have the components that are intricate to revival. Now, don't hear me saying that the Ninevites, they now know God. Most people say that's not actually what was the case here. They repented of the evil that they had done. But here we do see the components for revival, for the work of God that are intricate to revival. What are those components? Some of them His church obeys. His church proclaims. His church urgently repents. You look at revivals of old and you'll see people repenting everywhere. And the powerful God through His powerful Word does His powerful work. And may it be that we have such a response. May we obey. May we proclaim. May we urgently repent and we long and pray for the work of God. I wonder how many are around us that whether they know it or not, they are ready and they are waiting for you and I to bring them the word of God. They are ready and waiting for the gospel to come to them. We would simply need to come and tell them. If only someone would come. If only someone would obey and proclaim the gospel to them. May our Jew, may all of us here, and may we embrace the words of Isaiah, and may they be ours. Here I am. Send me. Amen. The harvest is plentiful. But the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Can you imagine if we just said, all of us even here, just said we will do this. We will obey this tonight. What God would do. So let us pray for that. Let us ask God to do his work and let us arise, go out, and proclaim his word. Let's pray. Father, we just come, Lord, and we ask 
we pray, Father, that you would help us. Help us to do these things. Not in the legalistic way. It's not the heart here. This is a heart of those who know Jesus Christ and now are called to an obedience of faith. That's our heart. The good trees bearing good fruit. So may it be that that would be us. May it be that we would say, here we are, send us. Where there is fear, give us boldness. Where there is a lack of knowledge, help us trust. We will not all have enough knowledge. We will never have all the answers, but we can trust you to help us. Your spirit in us to tell them and to go out and proclaim. And so help us, Lord, we ask. We pray for your help, your hand, and your spirit. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.